0: My grandma said it's best to keep your mouth closed, then open it and remove all doubt. There are some seasons coming where your silence is Don't be calling, telling what they talking about. If you talking money, what you talking about. Welcome back to the Knife at the Gunfight. This is uh, Dr. Simon Fitzgerald. And between the COVID-19 outbreak my work obligations, and two little kids. It's been a while since I recorded an episode. But we have a good one today with Green Party candidate for Baltimore City Council, Franco Mueller-Pas, looking to break the single-party r- rule of Baltimore City politics. And between uh, recording and releasing this uh, interview, she's done about two or three more podcast interviews, uh, but I think ours comes from an interesting perspective with uh history rooted in Baltimore. So it's a good one. Stay tuned. What they about. If you talking money, what you talking about? I won't be with souls who don't see their ghost. I can't feed a soul if i in the hole. Back cracking, immaculate, backpacking, attrapment, and jack snapping from Lac to the Vatican. Black alives matter when black affluent chatter get active. Put the stacks with a rack stacking is mattering. I don't do whack, flattering, passive, The flat blabbering. Your networking event was a scattered tragedy gathering. Hello again, this is Simon Fitzgerald uh, with The Knife at the Gunfight here with Green Party candidate for Baltimore City Council, 12th District, Franca Muller Pass. Franca, thanks for joining us. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. Yeah, feeling really energized. Had a big day on the doors today and uh, doing a couple events with the community. So it's been a great day.
0: Thanks again for joining us, Franca. And uh, your uh, race for the 12th District in the Baltimore City Council is getting more interest than a general election in the city usually gets. Uh, I believe the last time even a Republican won a Baltimore City Council seat was in the 1930s. And the last time a Republican uh, was elected in any citywide election was in the 60s. I actually have some family history uh, in this regard. My father ran for a Baltimore City Council seat in northwest Baltimore in 2004. And despite a lot of hard work and door knocking, had difficulty even really cracking the 15% of the uh, vote on election day. Uh, But your race is getting attention as one that might outperform uh, previous uh, Green Party candidates in the city. Uh, and so for, to start, for people who don't know the city, what are kind of the boundaries or the neighborhoods, uh, of your district that you're running for city council for?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's sort of, um, from the, from the south of, right, it starts at, uh, Perkins Homes, or really what Perkins Homes used to be. They, they've, uh, just been, they, folks there have just basically been moved out, um, all summer long. Uh, but it starts down there right above Little Italy, and then it's got 83, more or less uh, serving as a boundary on the west side, and uh, more or less uh, Broadway uh, serving as a boundary on the east, and it sweeps all the way up past uh, Greenmount uh, Cemetery, um, uh, Latrobe, uh, continuing to go all the way up Oliver Community, and then until we hit about the sort of 27th, uh, 28th, 29th mark, depending on what street you're on. Also, uh, right below what would be considered the, the
0: Hopkins campus. Well, let's get right to it. You know, why are you running for this seat and why should uh, the residents of the district trust you as a Green Party candidate for the 12th District City Council seat?
1: Yeah, well, you know, I actually never really thought about running for office, um, but as an advocate and an organizer, I just got so frustrated. There are of things that myself and fellow teachers and families and students, we've been fighting for for years. And I think we, you know, just collectively were really tired of not having a champion for working families in this seat. And so uh, around the fall of last year, I started getting approached by a few different um, organizers and folks in the community about really kind of trying to think about uh, what we could do uh, to make sure we really had representation that was going to be willing to fight for the needs of working people uh, in this district. And that's what inspired me to fight. And, you know, crime has been a big issue in our community. And I think uh, we've had for a long time a real solid solution for some of the crime in our city, which is invest in our young people, uh, invest in our schools, uh, invest in the rec centers, uh, across our city except, uh, instead of shutting them down or leaving them on, you know, life support where they don't have AC, they don't have heat, any of them, or at least malfunctioning functioning heat, and, you know, trying to te- teach tech programs, but without computers and all kinds of things like that. And I think that if we can invest in our young people and give them real opportunities uh, to grow for mentorship and mental health support, I think we can do a lot to bring down uh, some of the crime rates that we see in the city. But until we start to really uh, value our young people and value their education and their experience as teens, uh, we're not going to see the kind of uh, drop in crime that our our city really needs so that, you know, um, teachers like myself um, don't have to keep uh, burying our students.
0: Can you expand on any signature policies that, that you plan to put forth? Uh,
1: the biggest thing is funding. So right now, our city budget gets 15% of its overall budget to education. This is in comparison with the rest of the state, which on average, a municipality gives 36%. And so we are dramatically underfunding uh, our schools. And so one of the policies that I really want to be fighting for is to reconsider our public safety budget uh, that goes to our police right now and think about what can we do to address some of the root cause issues of crime, uh, and among them being education, uh, but also, uh, investing in home ownership, uh, investing in mental health, uh, investing in, um, substance abuse support. Uh, these are all things that can make our city the more livable, dignified place that our families deserve. And I think when we make those kinds of investments and also uh, throwing in uh, a family sustaining wage in there, um, until we make those kind of real investments in the community, I don't think we're going to bring down uh, crime the way we need to. So that is, number one, my priority uh, when uh, when we get into office uh, is to make sure we are dramatically transforming how we think about policing uh, and funding uh, public services here in the city.
0: Another question I have for you is why run as a a Green Party candidate instead of within the Democratic Party structure?
1: To me, the Green Party represents a platform that very clearly centers racial justice and economic justice. Uh, They also are a party that does not take uh, developer money, corporate money. And so I really wanted to run with a party that I felt I could feel good about um, morally. Uh, and so those were big pieces for me. Uh, I've also been really excited about the work of the Greens over the years. Um, I was really excited about Joshua Harris's mayoral run, uh, which really had me start to think about the power of local Greens running here in the city. And so that's been, you know, why it's been such an honor to run with this party. And I think it also gives me, uh, you know, if we can, if we can pull this off on November third. Um, a certain level of uh, independence to really focus on supporting the needs of residents and constituents, and really hearing the folks um, that live here in the city. Not feeling like I have to um, toe a party line, um, uh, be worried about getting, you know, like kicked off or whatever of a committee because, you know, not falling into uh, the expectations that they have. I can just really go wholeheartedly into what uh, the people across this district want me to be fighting for, and I'm really excited about that opportunity to have that independence. Um, not to mention that uh, if we win, we'll be the minority party, and that gives certain privileges uh, around being able to, you know, choose um, or uh, options as far as committees that I get to participate.
0: One thing that's somewhat unique about Baltimore is, uh, it's always been described to me as hyper-local. In the, the Biggest example was when I was in high school, the uh, albums of the local Baltimore club artist, K-Swift, would uh, regularly outsell national acts in local record stores. Uh, You know, and uh, there's a certain skepticism uh, towards outsiders, I think, and a certain value or importance put in things like, you know, where you went to high school. Um, You know, I, for example, went to Baltimore Polytechnic Institute, Uh, So did Nick Mosby, who I believe is going to be the Baltimore City Council president, if I've kept up with things. Uh, The incoming mayor, presumably, uh, will be uh, a Mervo graduate, Brandon Scott. Uh, The outspoken city councilman, Ryan Dorsey, went to Baltimore School for the Arts. Uh, I ran against Brandon Scott in track when he was at Mervo and I was a couple years ahead of him at Poly. Uh, I have mutual friends from high school with Ryan Dorsey. But you're not from uh, Baltimore, right? You're from Lima, Peru, um, and grew up uh, in and around Patterson, New Jersey. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I I came when I was a a baby and then uh, lived in Patterson and then also uh, moved uh, uh, to a suburb a couple miles from Patterson and kind of grew up between those two places and came to Baltimore in 2006 uh, to come to, to college. I went to Goucher. Uh, And now I teach at Baltimore City College. So uh, definitely love Polly, one of our campaign managers. She's a Polly grad. She goes to University of Maryland now. Uh, And then we have uh, a lot of uh, city uh, city students um, that are uh, helping out on the campaign and working on the campaign.
0: Well, fair enough. I want to give you credit for, uh, as you alluded to earlier, being a teacher at Baltimore City College, which is the rival uh, high school of mine. Uh, It's where my brother went to high school. It's also where my grandfather went to high school when it was still a segregated, uh, all-white school. I don't want to say that gives you street cred, but uh, certainly a a certain shared context uh, with uh, your constituents. Um, But I want to get back. You know, when I was uh, growing up, all I knew about Patterson, New Jersey, is that it was the hometown of Reuben Hurricane Carter, uh, the boxer who was framed for murder, right? And then when I moved to New York, I learned it was also the, I guess you'd call it Peruvian migrant capital, certainly of the region. So what what was your high school experience like, and how does your experience in Patterson, uh, how is that relevant to uh, your district in Baltimore City?
1: Yeah, well, I think there's a lot of similarities between Patterson and Baltimore. You know, it's a uh, Patterson is a, a smaller city than Baltimore, but it's definitely gone through a lot of the same issues, which is, it was a factory town where a lot of the factories have pulled out. Uh, one of the last major factories that was there, um, it was like a paper factory, and it, it burned down just, uh, just a few years ago. And uh, there are tremendous similarities when it comes to uh, lack of access to quality education, um, a lot of underinvestment in that community. And you're right, you know, that is like Peruvian Mecca. It is the highest concentration of Peruvians outside of Peru live in Patterson, New Jersey. Uh, there's a consulate there. Um, that's where I've gone to vote in many Peruvian elections. I'm actually a dual citizen. I'm both a US citizen and a, a citizen of Peru. Um, and, uh, you know, growing up, I would go there to learn traditional Peruvian dancing. I'm act and I, I continue to be a folkloric dancer. And in Baltimore, while there is a smaller Peruvian population here, I've felt very embraced by our Mexican and El Salvadorian community, and so i I dance traditional dance uh here with them um and also have taught uh my El Salvadorian and mexican you know brother really sisters um in the in the dance group around Peruvian dances, and we perform them uh across Baltimore. And so, you know, there is a lot of the, the vibrancy uh, in Baltimore and Patterson of a uh, of an immigrant community, um, of a vibrant um African American community uh, that makes me, you know, feel really it's part of what made me feel so at home when I came to Baltimore. Um, and so while I, you know, did not go to to high school here, I do feel like uh, there is a lot of um, solidarity uh, between what it was that were, you know, what were the challenges um, that I faced uh, coming from, coming from Jersey uh, and the challenges that a lot of folks are facing here. i um, trying to do the best that they can by their students. And
0: So as you mentioned, you're from a Hispanic or Spanish speaking background and, you know, Parts of Baltimore, Upper Fells Point, coincidentally around Patterson Park, have a significant Spanish-speaking population. But I don't think there's a a big uh, population of Spanish-speaking voters, Hispanic voters, certainly not in your district. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, In addition, your opponent, uh, Robert Stokes, uh, though not related to his predecessor, Carl Stokes, Carl Stokes was very popular. Uh, So in addition to the uh, party... Differential, where the Democratic Party vastly outnumbers the Green Party in terms of registered voters in your district. How are you overcoming that? You know, I guess you call it disadvantage. uh, In addition to the name recognition of your opponent and the, the party preference of Baltimore City voters.
1: Well, you know, it's been really amazing. We when we are out there and talking to people on the doors, there are so. Uh, people have been really welcoming and really exciting it's excited, and I think they really, you know, feel uh, the message that we're talking about, which is that uh, we can't keep doing things the way that we have been, especially when it comes to trying to bring down, you know, one of the major issues that people have, which is crime. Uh, we have to be investing in our communities. And, and what I, I talk about at every door is that we've got to invest in our youth, uh, have to invest and them having the opportunities that they need. And until we do that, we are not taking crops seriously. And I can't tell you how many homes are like, that is exactly how I feel. Uh, a lot of people talk about their rich experience in the rec centers from 34 years ago and how defining that was in their lives, like how that helped them really discover what they were passionate about uh, and what they wanted to do and how meaningful, you know, the – Uh, the relationships that they built there with their mentors, with their coaches, uh, what that really meant to them and how they feel that the lack of that and the tearing of that out of our communities has really left our young people uh, without many of the tools and resources that that they had when they were growing up. And so uh, I find that people have been really receptive to that message, um, people, when we talk to them, um, the vast majority are, are excited to to vote um, uh, and support the campaign. And so, um, I feel like we've been we've really been able to to connect around those issues because we know that if we you know continue to let things carry on like this, um, it is just an amount of pain and trauma that we we just can't. We can't allow um, to go unchecked, and the urgency is real. And every day that goes by that we don't do better, um, our kids' lives and our community's lives, lines are online.
0: I want to think about uh, this difference in uh, the political parties with you uh, for a little bit. I mentioned that my father ran as a Green Party candidate uh, in 2004. Uh, and uh, that year, uh, another candidate, Glenn Ross, who was McKeldry Park Community President, uh, not only got the endorsement of the Baltimore City paper, the now defunct Baltimore City paper, but got the endorsement of the Baltimore Sun, the paper of record of the city. And he was still pretty much unable to crack that 15% of uh, registered voters voting for him in his district. And, you know, working on my father's campaign, one thing that struck me is that... uh, one disadvantage the Green Party had was in the area of constituent services. You know, uh, a lot of people need help dealing with city government, for example, with permits and and other just logistics of uh, city living that the Democratic Party with an apparatus in the city government was much better positioned to offer constituent services. Uh, Now, I wanted to, what do you think about that? Do you think you know, things have changed much in the last 10 or 15 years, from my experience. Do you think the Green Party needs to do better in terms of constituent services?
1: Yeah, I mean, constituent services are a huge issue for people. But in this district in particular, um, there there is a huge lack of frustration. I can tell you how many houses I've knocked on who then show me pictures on their phone, take me to the haunted alley, uh, and show me, like, look, I have reported this for months and nothing happen- has been happening, uh, or who say, uh, the lights have been out on our block for months, and nothing has been happening, and no one comes to fix it, and we get the run around all day, and so people are really frustrated by the kind of constituent services that are being offered in the district right now, and just feeling like there has been a, a tremendous level of non-responsiveness, and so, you know, something – that we're really excited to be able to discuss and offer is saying, you know, like there's some low hanging fruit here of things that we can do to make this better, which is around updating the system um, that this district is using to make sure that we're really following through around the basic needs of people. You know, constituent services is the number one thing that a city council person has to be on top of and has to be doing uh, and making sure that, uh, they're taking care of the day-to-day issues um, that residents are dealing with. And so, you know, I don't think the Green Party has really had a chance to prove itself when it comes to constituent services because we haven't uh, won a seat yet in the city. Um But I'm really excited about uh, being able to tackle that issue uh, and to try to incorporate some of the incredible work being done by other council people. For example, uh, I'll shout out, you know, Zeke Cohen uh, in District One, who really revolutionized uh, constituent services in his district and just skyrocketed uh, how well uh, his office is able to turn around uh, those issues. And, it, and it's a big reason why he is, you know, very popular with his residents. So, uh, at least in this case, um, it does seem that the the Democratic establishment. Uh, at least over the last four years, has not been able to provide the service to the level that is necessary.
0: Yeah, you brought up uh, Zeke Cohen, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think him and uh, Ryan Dorsey in particular uh, have been supportive of your right to access the ballot and the Green Party in general right to access the ballot in Baltimore City. Uh, Can you speak a little bit more about that? Have you felt uh, solidarity from this uh, younger crop of Uh, Politicians in the city from our or my generation, like I've already mentioned, like Scott Cohen and uh, Dorsey?
1: Well, you know, they're uh, legislators that I've been working with and representatives that I've been working with uh, since uh, they, well, since Zeke entered office in uh, 2016, Um, haven't worked as closely with Ryan, but have been allied with some of the initiatives that he's had. Uh, have worked with uh, Brandon Scott around issues of supporting um immigrant students and supporting uh digital connectivity in the city and so you know this is work that goes back a long time so I think uh you know any uh one their willingness to support the the Green Party and Green Party being on the ballot is about democracy and it's about uh people having real choices uh but also you know I'm excited to continue the work uh with these uh, young representatives uh where you know and continue the work that I've been doing through my organizing as a Baltimore Teachers Union representative. I've been elected to represent the Baltimore Teachers Union for the past three terms at my school. Uh and also have been working with uh youth organizations as an advisor uh for many years. And so, you know, even before Zeke was a council person, uh we were working with him when he was uh helping to run the, the Baltimore Intersection, which is a, another group that really builds up students' abilities as far as uh, advocates. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's work that goes way back, and um, I think that's part of the reason they've been, you know, very, a little bit more open-minded around uh, the kind of work that can get done because they've seen my work uh, as, an, as an advocate for young people and as an advocate for families in our city.
0: You mentioned the Baltimore Teachers Union, and I wanted to recognize uh, the work that, that the Baltimore Teachers Union has been doing and, and the new leadership, uh, the, the new president of the local union, uh, Demonte Brown, also a Baltimore City College graduate, probably about my same age. We have friends uh, in common from high school, has been doing really important work. When I was a fellow of trauma and critical care at Johns Hopkins, I was working to get into the high schools doing violence prevention work, and she was one of just a few teachers that invited me into her classroom to uh, do that work with her students. So I wanted I met her in that capacity and wanted to recognize uh, that work. And, you know, Baltimore City Schools has a lot of work to do. It's very dysfunctional, but I think this new union leadership is an exciting development. But focusing on the November election, and you probably have better numbers than I do, uh, but I think there's about maybe at or a little less than 20,000 registered voters in your district. Uh, the primary election was won by Robert Stokes uh, with about 3,000 votes. Uh, and uh, he won the previous general election with about 8,000 out of 12,000 votes. Uh, you know, the question I have for you is, do you have the votes?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we're, we're working hard every day to get there. There are no polls right now. Um, there have been like mayoral polls and things like that. But I think we have a lot of pieces to look at that are really promising, right? Like, look at that number from the general election from 2016. 30% of the district voted for a third-party candidate. You know, that is huge. Um, it meant that even four years ago, there was already a willingness to really be able to cross that line, uh, and that's something we've been really trying to build off and work off of in this run. And then in the primary, sixty percent of people want a different representation. They didn't want the incumbent. The incumbent uh scraped by with forty percent of the vote. And so there is clearly a willingness to turn towards another another candidate, uh, and even a willingness to consider another party, which is how we know that this campaign can be won. Uh it's why it's considered the only competitive election. Uh, in the Baltimore, in any Baltimore local race. Uh, and so, uh, that's because we, you know, we're putting in the work. Uh, we have a tremendous, uh, field operation. Right now we are knocking doors, uh, seven days a week. Uh, we knock on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Tuesdays from four to seven. On Tuesdays and Fridays from one to seven and on the weekends we go from 10 to seven knocking doors. So we really are putting all the cards out on the table, uh, really trying to catch this win. And what's been incredible has been the fundraising. Uh, We've been able to raise without taking any corporate or development money. Uh, We've reached a huge milestone this week where we have raised over $800,000. Uh, we have an average donation of 44. Our largest group of donors are teachers. And, you know, this has been about really organizing and mobilizing uh, people to really feel like they're a part of this campaign. And so, you know, we have more individual donors to this campaign. We have almost 1,300 and that is more individual donors than anybody else who had run in the city council race. Um, anybody who had run for mayor, um, uh in this election. Uh and so we you know, we feel really, really excited about um, how people have been willing to invest in this in this fight. Uh and we are definitely in it to win it. So we are putting everything out there. Um and uh, I think if we can really do this with our whole heart and uh, continue to pound the pavement like we have been, uh, I really think we can we can get a win in November.
0: Do you have uh, supporters, even champions, in you know all the neighborhoods we talked about—Perkins Homes, Douglas Homes, Latrobe Homes, uh, Johnston Square, Green Mount, Midway, Station North? Do you have champions in all these neighborhoods that are? you know, bringing you to their neighbors and and really advocating in support of of your candidacy?
1: Yeah, that's the work. So we've been, you know, and again, some of these are relationships that I've had for longer. Some of them are ones that we've been really, you know, cultivating more recently. Um, But that's that's been a part of the work. So I actually work really closely with uh, Reverend Chambers. She's been a huge uh, mentor and advisor to me. Uh, She is a former Black Panther uh, and has been organizing around welfare rights for over half a century. Uh, she is a leader within Douglas Homes, And um, so, you know, and I've uh, done a lot of organizing work over at Douglas um, with her and with the Ujima People's um, Progress Party, um, have also been working closely with uh, organizers in Oliver, um, one of the former uh, primary uh, candidates, Gary Crom, uh, who's from, born and raised in the Oliver neighborhood, um, has been a huge ally and, uh, really, really helping us, um, uh, draw connections and relationships across the east side. So, uh, that's certainly been a big part of the work is, you know, um, making sure we, we are there and we're showing up for folks and doing the work that needs to get done. And it's, you know, part of how we've been able to, try to address, even through the campaign, and some of the issues that are going on in the community. So uh, something that popped off recently is that the last remaining grocery store in the Oliver neighborhood was closed. Uh, and we learned about it, you know, through uh, we were knocking doors uh, in the community, and it was just clearly something that was on a lot of people's minds. Um, so we brought it to some of the community leaders that uh, we've been working with and talking to. And they, sure enough, um, this grocery store got closed down, and actually today was the inauguration of uh, our, our partnership with uh, Baltimore Community, Be More Community Food, who is now doing a weekly food distribution right outside the closed supermarket um, every Thursday, uh, is definitely, well, we try to find a real solution to the food apartheid that's taking place in this community. So, you know, having those relationships uh, with community members enables us to also be, you know, dynamic and, uh, you know, try to address and use the apparatus of the campaign um, to be able to do some of the work right now, um, which is valuable work, whether we win or lose.
0: Well, Frank, I want to thank you for spending time with us today. Uh, before we go, is there anything else you want to share uh, with me or my audience that we didn't get a chance to touch on?
1: Uh, sure. I would say that the last thing I want to say is that, you know, the legacy of what's been going on in this district has been happening for a long time. Uh, when we look at, uh, the amount of digital disconnectivity that is present where we've got one in every two, um, black and Latino households don't have internet access. When we look at the level of food apartheid or, you know, some people use the term food desert, um, in the community, uh, when we look at uh, the rate of diabetes and heart conditions, uh, all of that can go back and be superimposed on the mass of redlining that really deeply impacted and hurt uh, our community. And so, you know, we're still reckoning with these policies that are from like the 1930s. Uh, and we have to do better. Uh, we have to invest in our communities now. These are life or death issues. Uh, for, for our neighbors, and, you know, we have a shot right now to try to uh, win in November and do the hard work that needs to be done um, to make sure that people have a dignified experience um, in District 12 in Baltimore City, and, uh, and uh, I know we don't want to wait another four years um, to make this work happen. We need to do it now.
0: Thanks again for joining us, Franca, and, you know, I'm living in New York, but I'm still active in the Baltimore ceasefire uh, so I hope to see you, uh, you know, on an upcoming uh, ceasefire weekend. Uh, see you in the streets, and good luck on November 3rd. Señor Presidente, le vengo a avisar, no tengo papeles para trabajar. Señor Presidente, pregunto por qué matan al moreno con piel de café. Thanks for joining us again on Night for the Gunfight. That was Franco Muller-Pass, the Green Party candidate for City Council seat in the 12th District of East Baltimore. The election is November 3rd, so if you live in the district, keep that in mind. Uh, the music you heard today is from actually two of uh, Franco's supporters. Uh, the first is Baltimore rapper EZ Jackson, who has publicly come out supporting her candidacy for city council and the second is from an east los angeles band called las cafeteras franca alluded to that she's part of a folkloric music group it's called conjunto bruja and after the interview i realized that i had seen uh, her perform in a show with las cafeteras in uh, east baltimore a couple of years ago so thanks again for joining us i hope you hear from us soon and remember the election ends november 3rd so vote vote early and vote like your life depends on it If I was president, I'd roll up my sleeves as I face the congregation. First thing I do is free education. And every third period, yo, we practice meditation. Like a brown Robin Hood, I'd take from the rich and I'd give to the poor. So my little sister ain't gotta be hungry no more. And my first lady would be my mom's Cause smacked me at the first time of drone strikes and dropping bombs And if I was president, I'd free all my poor black and brown kids that got caught up in three strikes And when they get out, they get three bites So they can ride to their future, back to their past Go to the store, get some chips with no GMO Cause my folks, we got a right to know And if you don't know, now you know me gusta la lima, me gusta limón, pero no, no me gusta, me gusta si fuera honestamente Si fuera presidente, para mi gente, Si fuera presidente,
1: honestamente Si fuera presidente, para mi
0: gente At my inaugurations, I burned about at the opening Thanks and prayers to Creator, man, all living beings bursting. I'd sit you down with your eye, i will rewrite history so our kids can see where we came from and the new destiny. From Flint to Cali, water flowing pure and free. In my department of peace with we'll melt guns in the pie cracks. Budget cuts to corporate kickbacks. If I was president, well, that'd still be drama. Takes a village to kill our generational trauma. So shake your spine, put your hands up high. We got a different kind of party in the White House tonight. If I was president, Hey, what would I do if I was president? Hey, I'd ask you.